Welcome to For the Record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and take a deep dive into it. You can listen to us every other Thursday at 9.30 a.m. on BFF.fm or subscribe to the podcast at ForTheRecordPodcast.com. This week we're talking about the third album from Michael Cronin, conveniently titled MC3, and it starts out with a song called Turn Around. is also one of the singles from this album stakes out territory of using much more orchestral palette than you might expect and it's really dominated on this track by strings and piano which i think is interesting i think of michael cronin as being part of a garage revival sound but this album just has as i said orchestral instrumentation and just a pervading sweetness to how it sounds by way of background when you say garage revival you're talking about the san francisco scene that was sort of centered on ty seagal who Michael Cronin had played with, with for a long time. He used to be a local guy, and he's since moved back to Southern California, which is where he's from. But he's still a native Californian, so I'll give him credit for that. Native Californians, of course, always better than everyone else, and even though if, I'm, we, I may be a little biased. Yeah, if I could do an eye roll over the podcast <laughs> microphone, eye roll. You are also a native Californian. I can still eye roll. <laughs> But anyway, he played bass in Ty Siegel's band, and I know he said in interviews that it did take some time to break away from that garagey sound, but I'm glad he did it, because it turns out he's a really great pop songwriter. Yeah, I must say he's also kind of a goofball. I, I can't fault him for moving south. It's getting a lot harder for musicians or really any kind of artist to be in the Bay Area these days, unfortunately. And along with a lot of musicians moving down to L.A., he can also hang out with, it seems like, all of the good comedians who are leaving New York to move to L.A., and many of whom are in the video for this song. It's actually a shot-for-shot remake of the video for Natalie Imbruglia. Is that how you say her name? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, her, her, her video, Torn. And it features Kristen Schaal, Kurt Brownholer, a bunch of other comedians, and then actually Ty Siegel and Michael Cronin both show up in minor roles. And at the end of the video, Michael Cronin just sticks his head into frame with this goofy grin on his face. <laughs> it's very silly. It's very charming. And I think that sweetness and the silliness are great. And then they combine with lyrics, which are, you know, on one level, sort of romantic about living in the moment. But it's also melancholy because there's this real sense that, you know, it's not going to work out like, hey, enjoy this moment because it isn't going to last. There's this lyric, you know, be here, be with me, be here with me until the moment goes. Here it goes. And so he, he's only 29, but there does maybe appear to be an awareness of his mortality. There's other lines along the along that thread of watch the days go by. It just, yeah, there's this sadness to it, even as it's sweet and romantic. 
I also really like it right before that first chorus. There's just this plaintive little stop that I mm-hmm. <laughs> took me a few listens even to notice that. And mm-hmm. I, I found it very charming. He also explores similar emotional territory from a dis- different perspective in the next track, Made My Mind Up. what part of that track we should play because the first two minutes or so is this very structured verse chorus verse pop song and then the last like minute and a half is just an instrumental breakdown that's a really nice interplay between the electric guitar and the piano and it's touches like that that keep this album from being too simplistic or predictable i find that with merge records bands i can often see why mac mccon picked them out of a crowd and in this case i really feel like michael cronin sounds like super chunk covering big star and I absolutely mean that as a compliment, but it's pieces like the instrumental portion that really give it a unique style that doesn't sound like what it otherwise might resemble. Yeah, while this is not quite as idea dense as Speedy Ortiz, which we talked about last time, he is definitely not content with one idea per song. And so even though there's really a poppy sound on a lot of these, I feel like aside from a couple of tracks on the album, which we're conveniently just not going to talk about, uh, I didn't find myself getting bored because of that ideas, uh, multiple ideas per song. And I also found that on this song, there were the first of a few moments that I found to be really distractingly referential. I don't know if it's intentional, but for instance, on here, the piano really feels a lot like the riff which opens Elton John's Tiny Dancers with maybe just the last note changed. Play a few seconds of that. Or or maybe it's just me. Yeah, when you initially brought that up, I didn't hear it, but now I guess I do. I I do think there's a bit of all piano melodies sound the same going on there, though. Uh, tell that to Beethoven. I, I, sorry, I just, now uh, I am rolling my eyes. Yes. Well, that's good. We're, we're even then. I, I think it is impossible to avoid influence, though. I, you know, I know I've said this before. I think on our last podcast, we're just kind of trading places on this one. I'm hearing all the references. But, you know, even if there is some reference there, the way that the piano and the guitar work together is just so seamless. And it do, you know doesn't feel glommed together. You can see the parts, but they work together so well. I also like the quiet moments here. Like there are just these little pauses leading to the chorus. There's kind of a pause and then just tell me when it hurt and then another pause and then it builds up 
to the meat of the chorus, which is the lyric from the title of the song. Michael Cronin does a lot of that throughout the record where he will have all the instruments or most of the instruments drop out suddenly to create a dramatic effect. And I think that's something that can be overdone, but he does it well. And it's something that he also uses a lot in the next song, which is called Say. Uh, Just listen to the way he drops everything but the drums and then brings in the horns about 40 seconds in. fortune to see Michael Cronin open for Superchunk a couple years back. One of the things that really struck me on that was his mastery of harmony. He's able to lay down these really dramatic chord progressions. And I think this is the song on the album which exemplifies that the best. They're just interesting chords and they resolve very satisfyingly. I also enjoy the opening which just has cowbell and bass before introducing any other instruments. And I think the cowbell is very charming. Somehow, even though it's just a steady beat, I think the percussionist varies the harmonics and or the dynamics rather just being light slightly lighter slightly harder from beat to beat really keeps my attention and then the song later prominently features these horns and I think just like you mentioned how the piano and guitar worked well together in that last track I think here the bridge has the horns and the guitar working very well it just sounds fantastic talked earlier about how you appreciate the dramatic chord projection pro- progressions and i feel the beginning of this song also demonstrates how he ramps up the dramatic tension by adding on instruments successively and i feel like it's a really effective way to keep the song interesting and get the listener emotionally involved in our last episode we talked about speedy ortiz and how i felt like they were doing a lot of changing up the tempo and doing like a stair step of chord progressions with a similar effect but they also had these really complicated kind of fussy lyrics that felt like they were trying too hard and I'm going somewhere with this but when I listened to this record the first few times I was a little bit irritated that the lyrics were just kind of very simplistic and non-specific and I but I think it worked here because he's using the instrumentation in the different phases of the song to evoke a feeling rather than the lyrics and even his vocals are kind of low in the mix and I and so I think it ends up being a good balance 
My point is that if the lyrics were more complicated and sort of writerly, the overall effect might be kind of pretentious. And I think he does a good job of avoiding that. Yeah, I would describe this as a pop album. I think the songs are musically interesting and varied, but always accessible. Vocals are often a supporting player and don't steal the attention. Production is very clean across the board without feeling just antiseptic or artificial. I do appreciate, though, that there's also a fair bit of variation, not just within the songs, but also from song to song. And I think that this next song really is almost an acoustic sounding lead guitar and the vocals, you know, contrasting with what you just said, I think become a lot more uh, prominent and the song's called Feel Like. important to point out that Michael Cronin wrote all the string parts himself. He also wrote all the string parts on Ty Siegel's last album, so it's clearly been an interest of his for a while. And you know, violence in particular can just sound very pretentious and over the top, and he makes it work here. It's it's kind of a demonstration of how I, I think writing a good pop song in particular is just kind of magic. You can put all the same elements together in almost the same way, but something is just different enough or it doesn't have that hook and it's a dud. And I feel like Michael Cronin has just really hit on that magic ability to make a good pop song. Yeah, it's pretty exceptional. He has such a broad palette. There's so many different instruments and styles, but he understands that less is more and he doesn't just throw everything into each song and is pretty selective. I think he has that elusive thing called taste, which is pretty rare. Uh, I think this song really stands out on the album. Most of the songs have an instrumental bridge and we've been playing some of those but in this one it's all about the vocals and you know truth be told i'm not sure what he's singing and even though the vocals aren't buried in the mix they're just not clear maybe he has some feelings about something that he can't deal with but i'm not (laughs) sure the song's enjoyable enough though that I, i can see myself listening enough times that eventually i'll get it and i am charmed by on that bridge how far he pushes his voice towards the end And he goes right up to the limit, but not over. It reminds me a lot of the Nick Thorburn, a.k.a. Nick Diamond's work on several of the songs on those Islands records. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I will say that I did find myself wishing the lyrics were just a little bit more literal or it was just a bit more clear what he's trying to express or what is the situation that inspired him to write the song. And we get a little bit more of that in this last song on what I would call the A-sides, which is called I've Been Loved. Feeling alone in a crowded room Can't say 
Here around the middle point of the album, we do get this quiet moment, but it's also a time for some experimentation. There's this spooky whistling and then some very weird string sounds rubbing the strings on some kind of instrument. And also lyrically, I feel like it's a turning point that he's starting to look back on love as something in the past. And there's some pretty grim imagery. He's being alone in a silent room. He's being locked in his mind. But actually at the start of the song, he talks about seeing this circle in front of him and I think it's a nice it's not a call that call forward he's looking forward to the last track on the album which is entitled circle yeah this is where we pivot from what I think you can fairly call the a side to the b side which is a connected suite of songs about his experience of moving to the pacific northwest for college but then having a serious back injury and just feeling very isolated and alone so it starts appropriately enough with a track titled alone of this song it starts with a quiet orchestral horns builds up to this really cathartic if not quite joyful noise at the end the lyrics i think nicely portray this kind of feeling of going somewhere where there are seasons if you're from somewhere like southern california that doesn't really have them and you know i went through that when i went to college and after the novelty wears off that first winter is pretty brutal and that's even if you don't have a back injury yeah, I believe it was Portland that he was that he moved to. And several years ago, I was seriously considering moving to Seattle, which is a city that I love. 
But one of the big deciding factors ended up being that there's so little sunlight in the winter because not only is there only about eight hours of daylight, but then it's also really overcast or rainy during that time. So you really just go for weeks without ever seeing the sun. And if you're really affected by the seasons, that can have an impact on your psyche. And especially if you're not prepared for it or expecting it, it can really hit you hard. Yeah, I'm very glad that this song doesn't wallow in that seasonal depression. I think I would be tempted just to turn off the album and say, yeah, 50% is the good way to stop. Uh, I do think the instrumental opening is sounds a little bit like every movie soundtrack ever. And while that was a little bit distracting, I think it does help establish that there isn't supposed to be a narrative to these songs. And I'm glad that the narrative continues not to wallow in depression, but goes into a very energetic next track entitled Gold. Well, that was the sound of a Zorus you heard there, which is a traditional Greek instrument that he picked up in Athens while on tour and just really wanted to work it into one of the songs. But I think this song illustrates well the fact that even though all the tracks on the B-side are intended to work together and they're actually numbered one through six, they almost all can stand alone as individual tracks. And in fact, I think this was the first single that was released off the record. Yeah, I, I read a review on Spin where they were... Pr- implicitly at least critiquing the fact that he used that instrument without some deeper meaning to it and i just think it's enough that it sounds cool and the guitar and the tsuris jam at this end of the song i think elevates it into one of my favorites on the album that said i think it works so well as a standalone really rocking song with that exotic edge at the end and yet i'm not quite as sure about what this is saying about the experience in that story You know, I took it as he's trying to rally himself and sort of talk himself out of these negative feelings. And one of the verses goes, take the weight of the cold, breathe the sting in the air, let your mind take control. And then later he's talking about trying to force the pieces to fit and to find the power of one. And it's to me, it sounded like he's trying to will himself to make the situation work and it's just not happening and he's getting really frustrated. And I think that frustration really comes out on the next track we'll play, which is the fourth song in the suite. And it's called Ready.
appreciate that Michael Cronin is willing to get quiet and stay quiet as long enough to build a lot of tension. I think it helps to dramatize the transition in the song from where at the beginning I've, you get the sense that he's passively dreading the future and then suddenly he's just freaking out with that instrumental section. Uh, the song also deploys a trick that he uses on a lot of the songs on the album and right going into the chorus there's this burst of guitar feedback just for a moment and I really like the effect every time it comes up it just feels like we're crossing a threshold each time and I think it you know bumps up the drama that much more yeah if you're waiting for him to go back to his garage rock roots I think this is really the one place on the record that you'll find it and I I think it's deployed really effectively to convey being at a breaking point because after this song there's the penultimate track that we didn't play which is called different and that's sort of an interlude where you can imagine him sort of changing course with his life plans and coming to terms with, you know, this situation that he he can't talk himself out of. And then the album and the song suite ends with this really lovely track called Circle, which I understood to be all about becoming part of a community again. And, you know, he comes back to his loved ones with a new appreciation of how important it is to have those people around you. Yeah, this is a really poppy album, as I think both of us have said, in terms of the accessibility. And I think that, you know, on one level, a lot of these songs could be taken as love songs. And yet they're darker, they're more ambiguous, and they're more personal takes on those sorts of strong emotions. And there's just this pervading sense of the past being forever lost, and yet the future not necessarily being something you're looking forward to. I am really glad that this last track circle does give us some hope of transcendence and that circle I think can represent perhaps the hero's journey that you return home stronger and wiser. You, you, you learn from that experience and that it also I think represents how it feels to be in that community with this just very charming and sweet uh, lyric where he sings, please be all around me. I, I just love that. It's a great way to finish the album. So we've been discussing Michael Cronin's MC3. Thanks so much for listening. Get up off your There's a vision of the future where the catacombs of mindfulness will fade. This is not your fate. You're the music that surrounds you. Take control.